We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the country throughout Australia from which we conduct our podcast. We would like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Tell me something I can understand So I don't feel like I'm running off in another state of mind Hey guys, welcome back to Beers and Tears. Today we are joined with one of the members from Tora, Thorn. Hello, how are you today? Hey, hey, I'm good, I'm good. I'm in Bali at the moment, so um, everything, everything's about as good as it actually can be right now. But yeah, thank you very much for having me. Pleased to be here. You look like you're living the dream in Bali right now. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm actually on a little island off Bali called Lembongan, which um, is potentially even a little bit more beautiful than Bali in some respects because it's a white sand beach um, and we're kind of in a little lagoon. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just really, really nice. How long have you been in Bali for? Um, I left Amsterdam about the end of April, actually 28th of April, I left Amsterdam. Um, the lockdown was just becoming a, a little bit too intense and yeah, I just, I just needed to get some reprieve from, from the, from the Dutch life. Good as it is. I just, I, yeah, I'm not really built for cities and small apartment living. I, I jumped out as soon as I could. And what's, um, COVID life like in Bali? I would say it's similar to what I'm seeing in or have seen in, uh, a lot of the other parts of the world, quite similar to what was happening in Amsterdam, I guess. Like in the, in the four months that I've been here, we've gone into lockdown once. There was like a three-week lockdown. And so that was like no one allowed on the beaches. No one really allowed to go anywhere. It was just take away food, just the usual situation. Um, but yeah, since then, everything has opened back up. And I would say the only thing that we really have to do now is we actually are supposed to wear masks when you're on a scooter or you're kind of going around. So yeah, it's still still a lot of mask wearing going on, but for the most part, um, restaurants are open, beaches are open, everything's kind of kind of ticking along as usual to a certain extent. But of course, there's just no tourists here. It's, it's really, really quiet. Yeah, I can imagine. Wow. Yeah. Sounds, sounds nice though. Um, yeah, it is. It is really nice. Do you want to uh, quickly introduce yourself and what you do in the band and also the other members who are not present at the moment? Hey everyone, I am Thorne Davis. Um, I am the drummer in Torah and also I do some production and, and writing as well. Joe is the lead singer, guitarist and keyboard player. Also uh, very much a key writer in the band as well. Then we've got Jai, who is vocals, guitar and keyboards. Also a writer. And then Sean is mostly holding down the bass when we're playing live. But again, also really involved with the writing and more of the, the mixing and mastering actually when it comes to getting the tracks finalized. So yeah, together we're a four piece and we are Tora. Sweet. Multitaskers sounds like it. Yeah, more or less, more or less. There's like a lot of shared uh, skills going on. So that's, that's really cool. Um, so you've been releasing music since like around 2014. Where, where did it all begin? Where did Tora begin? Where did you meet and decide to be Tora? So we originally met at school um, quite, a, quite a way back. And we weren't actually all friends for the most part. Like the group that is now Tora, we weren't really friends at school. But when I graduated in 2010, I moved to Melbourne. Um, and then Joe, Sean and Toby actually were all down in Melbourne as well. And I met Joe again like kind of for the first time almost because he was uh, the year below me at school so we didn't really hang out but I ended up working at a call center with him in Melbourne and we we really hit it off and about a year later we moved back up to Byron and then he introduced me to Toby and to Sean again 
And yeah, it was really probably Joe and Toby who were who were holding down the fort and getting a lot of the early releases out. Um, and they were diving into uh, music production because um, they had been in bands prior, but they were kind of more traditional bands where you'd go into a studio to record. And I guess Torah was different in that it was mostly a, a production-based band for the most part when things were really getting started, you know? And so, yeah, I think about 2013, we all sort of formed and we used to be a five piece because uh, Toby has, has since left the band. But um, yeah, and it just kind of started happening. And then we were riding the SoundCloud wave sort of around 2013 to 2014 when SoundCloud was really popular and, and, and kicking off. And I think that's that's what gave us uh, probably a, a nice big push in the right direction. So, yeah. Sweet. And the name Torah. What, what is Torah? So uh, Toby... Uh, the, the member that's now left, he, he is Greek and Torah uh, means now in Greek. And I think originally in the previous band that Joe, Toby and Sean were in, they actually wrote a song or they had another little side project called Torah's New Coma. I don't even think they really know what that fully means. But when it came to doing this project, I guess they just abbreviated it down to Torah. Torah also means now, which was uh, a sort of a nice element to bring into the band uh, in that we try to make music that is just now what we're feeling now you know we don't we we're kind of trying to bend genres to a certain extent and uh yeah so we've just kind of rolled with that and so you moved to amsterdam at one point in time what what provoked the move so we've got a really good following in Europe. And I think we had also just gotten to the point where as much as we loved Australia, you know, there's only so many cities you can tour. And then to get over to Europe regularly is, is just remarkably expensive if we have to fly with all of our gear, which to a certain extent we do because we, we have quite a, uh, a special setup with a lot of gear that we can't necessarily just rent. Um, and so, yeah, in, in 2019, we were in Europe for like a PR tour. And we started talking about actually settling in Europe for a certain amount of time to just try and kick the band off on that side of the world. And then, yeah, the start of 2020, we, we locked in the decision. Uh, we were originally going to move to Brussels, actually, because uh, in 2019, we had a really good experience there and it felt like a, a good place to be. But uh, ultimately, we decided on Amsterdam. It was just really well located. It's a cute little village of a city, I guess, as well. So great to get around on the bicycle and... Yeah, my the only thing I have to say about Amsterdam is is the weather could improve. Um, and apart from that, oh, and yeah, it is pretty expensive as well. I'm not going to lie. Coming from Australia, it's it's a little bit more expensive to live. That's for sure. But yeah, otherwise, no complaints. It's a, it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah, it looks lovely from all the, the posts on the socials. It looks like a lovely little European town. Do you guys plan on staying there for long or like what? I mean, it's hard to plan anything at the moment, but. Do you plan on coming back to Australia at some point? Yeah, well, look, I think if the circumstances to enter Australia improve, um, it'll be something that's a little bit more on the radar. Right now, uh, it's, it's even very difficult to, to get back in. And then I'm also hearing that to leave uh, is another whole situation. Um, because I think Scott Morrison passed some new bill recently wherein that people who do live overseas but still hold Australian citizenship can't actually leave. Uh, without without a, a string of exemptions. So, yeah, I think at some point in the future, Australia might be on the cards again. I mean, it, it's probably still considered home for all of us. But look, it, it's it's for me, I think I, I'm just beginning to to come to terms with the fact that 
my life over the next 10 years is probably just going to involve a lot of travel. Um, and so I'm probably not going to be sinking my roots down anywhere. I think there's going to be a portion of time spent in Europe. I'll definitely be spending a portion of time in Bali because my girlfriend's here and we're actually building a little house here. And so I think it's also, it's a, it's a really good place to be creative and to work and obviously also very cheap as well. So I love it here as well. So I think between Bali, Europe and Australia, I'm going to probably just be ping-ponging around for the next foreseeable future. Cool. What does your girlfriend do, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so she owns a bunch of cafes here called Cafe Organic. Um, and so obviously now her business has been pretty strongly affected because tourism has has basically come to a halt. So she's looking at a few other things and got a few other projects. But um, yeah, like her family moved here when she was like three months old because um, her family moved from France. So it's, it's quite interesting because she was speaking Indonesian before she was actually speaking English. Um, so she's, she's like multilingual and, uh, and yeah, I mean, for her, Bali, Bali is very much home. So yeah, it's a good place to have a little base as well. Yeah. It's lovely. Um, so what would you say during this current climate is your favorite and least favorite thing about being a musician at the moment? Okay. I would say for me personally, I, I obviously can't speak for the other guys, but I think for me, creativity very much comes from uh, a variety of experience and a richness of life, which I think has been extremely dampened by the lockdowns and just the general social sentiment getting getting pretty low. Um, so I think there have been times when I've run into sort of creative blocks uh, and just creative apathy, I guess, where I, I almost lose the, the reason to be creating. I think... Yeah, I think that that was a pretty difficult thing to grapple with. It's it's improved since I've been out of Amsterdam and into better weather. So I think I was also reminiscing on the fact that um, Amsterdam's weather does affect me to a certain extent. But yeah, I, I would I would just say just the the pace that life is moving and just obviously the the limitations on our freedoms has has really affected my my creativity. And so you guys have released four tracks off of your upcoming album so far. Which would you say is your favorite? Personally, uh, personal favorite of mine would be "When Will I Learn." Um, that's that's a little brainchild of Joe's. Uh, he he pretty much almost completely wrote that track, and I think definitely of this album is one of my favorites. Um, it's just it's it's just got that thickness, you know, that that bass element to it, which I really really love in music, um, and the guitar, and just the mood, and yeah, because ultimately it's actually quite a simple track, but it's it's very emotive, and I think it it develops really nicely as well. And the outro is just just so huge, and it's really fun to play live. So I think all of all of the boxes got ticked for me, and that's definitely a, a personal favorite of mine. And so your album is coming out on September third. What can we expect from this upcoming album? Ooh, and help me to pronounce it also a force. Yes. Yeah. A force majeure. So a force majeure, first of all, it's it's Latin for a superior force. Um, and I guess it pays homage to everything that we've gone through over 2020 while we were actually writing the album because it was, in essence, a, a superior force that um, that pushed us into all of the, the situations that we didn't really want to be in. And I think it was just a, a motivating factor to get back into the studio and just to try and get this album out. So I... I I think that our writing style has matured to a point where on this album, the songs perhaps 
they're a little bit more formed. There's a bit more songwriting that was going on and a bit more intention that was put into making the songs uh, more receivable. I think prior to this album, things were very free and we were really letting our creativity uh, take control and, and experiment, experimentation take control. And so here we were a little bit more focused in, in really trying to make a, a solid body of work Yeah, with a little bit more care and attention towards the songwriting. Um, so there's also variety. I think all of our albums also have a lot of variety. So I think that's present still. But yeah, things seem to be a, a cut above in terms of uh, the production, the mastering, the mixing and, and the songwriting. So yeah, it's it's the next evolution. Nice. And what is, do you have like a holistic meaning behind the, all the tracks coming together on the album? Oh, I would say not. I think what I'm beginning to realize about our creative process is that there almost is no creative process when it comes to making an album. Sometimes the tracks are formed in a very haphazard way. Um, other times they are a little bit more thought out and structured or really uh, sort of taken taken by someone's specific mood or experience. Uh, but in that, in that respect, I think, yeah, the album itself still follows very much of... A, a kind of like a piecing together it's 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 textured and also perhaps defined by a lot of the new instruments that we actually got as well because when we landed in Amsterdam and lockdown started uh, we we purchased a lot of analog synthesizers and drum machines which we really wove into into the sound as well that's so interesting I've, I've noticed a lot of people using synthesizers in their music lately like it's just a comeback of synths Yeah, well, look, I, I, I dare say that they never really left. I think what happened is music production software got so good and the, the, like the VSTs they're called, which is sort of software synthesizers, they got so good at modeling real synths that everyone was like, oh, wow, we don't actually need analog gear anymore because it's so expensive. We can just have everything in the laptop. Let's go. But one thing I've realized and a lot of my other musician friends have realized is that having a piece of equipment where you have this tactile relationship to the knobs and to all of the, the parameters to control the instruments, they actually play a pivotal role in determining the, like what sort of comes out of it, you know, because there's all these little weird quirks and these weird anomalies that sometimes take place that really beautify and characterize certain sounds, which doesn't actually happen on software synthesizers that much unless it's programmed to do that. So yeah, I think as soon as you've got the means and the money, the analog synthesizers just ultimately need to come back because they're, they're instruments, you know, and they need to be played with a certain amount of, uh, of humanism. How would you say that this album differs from Can't Buy the Mood, your last album? Yeah, look, I think it comes back to that maturity thing. I think we've, we've just evolved as, as songwriters, as people. I think a lot of the lyrics Joe was writing really uh, hit home and really... Uh, Uh, I guess he captures more of what he's really trying to say in, in, in perhaps a more literal way, but also in, in a more poetic way to a certain extent as well. Because, yeah, I think we, we have all just evolved since that album came out. And I, I do hope that is really showcased because when I listen back to the songs, I feel like it's, it's, a, it's a step beyond, you know, we've moved in the right direction, I feel. Um, now I'm going to stir into a little bit of like a discussion-based kind of situation because I've been having a few discussions with people lately about the concept of albums and if albums are really quite that relevant anymore considering, I don't know, Spotify algorithms and just like people's playlists, I guess, like you only steal a few like of the top songs to put on a playlist. Do albums matter? 
Yes or no? Yes, they do matter. Because I was reading a, a book recently. It was like, um, uh, it's basically a book on music business, like everything you need to know about music business as written by a lawyer. And one of the interesting things that he was talking about in one of the early chapters was that if you don't have a story to tell, definitely don't write an album because no one's going to give a shit. And I think that that is it's, it's fairly good advice because don't write an album for the sake of writing an album unless like you really need to, you know, like I think Dark Side of the Moon that Pink Floyd album needed to be an album. And the way that it was constructed and came together was, it just it just had to be what it needed to be. And I think now a lot of what's happening is you've got musicians that have a couple of great tracks and then a record label or a manager or whoever it is will be like, okay, now you need to flesh that out, get some other songs around that. But the necessity for there to be an album is only to serve the interests of, of perhaps the industry. And so I think sometimes albums can fall short in this day and age. But yeah, the Spotify, Spotify model is definitely driving singles a lot more. I think you've hit the nail on the head, yeah, because I was... Um, trying to work it out because a lot of people I've said in a few of the other episodes have even released their albums to like accommodate the Spotify algorithms by releasing the songs as like singles and then they just release single after single after single and then it kind of makes up an album at the end but I think it's yeah you're very right in saying that it kind of needs to send a message because those are the best albums as a whole I think so yeah follow-up question when it comes to posthumous albums it's like when someone dies and then they find their old music and then they decide to release it anyway personally would you like to have that music released after you die or do you think it should be kept in the depths of the world wow that that is a a very loaded question so i should i should probably proceed with caution here i think it it so much hinges on the context in which the music is found, I dare say, and also maybe the how, how complete the music found is. But I guess the short answer would be no, unless I intended it to be that way. Like if I wrote some amazing album, I was on my deathbed, and then I died before it got to be released, but the intention was to release it, and it was close enough to completion, then by all means, that would be cool. Um, but yeah, if it's years and years after I've died, and you know, like my producer is going through my archives and finds all of these half-baked tracks and then decides to try and finish them off, I think that would be a crime. That would be a true crime. (laughs) Yeah, because I think they did did that with Mac Miller's recent album where he had the intent of releasing the album and then um, passed away and then they released it, which was, I think, was fine, yeah. Um, Yeah, 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 okay. But yeah, it is interesting to see what people, I just am quite intrigued in people's opinions on the matter, really. There was no no going anywhere with that question. Yeah, well, it, it's, it is an interesting question, actually. So yeah, I think you're, you're right to be intrigued. Yeah. I would have to think about it a little bit more almost. Yeah, as a listener, I can understand because like, I definitely will listen to the Amy Winehouse music <laughs> if it gets released, but with half a heart of shit maybe maybe we're not meant to be listening to this and I feel bad so where do you get your like inspirations from or do you get it from like other musicians or other music or do you get it from like life or is it just kind of a mixture of everything 
Yeah, inspiration uh, with music creation is a funny one because I'm also a visual artist and I, I do a lot of writing as well. And what I find curious is of the three different creative fields that they represent, inspiration kind of comes in the same way. And that is literally no more complicated than just showing up and just starting something. I think, obviously, if you're living in a beautiful place and you've got... Uh, great friends and a great community and all sorts of amazing stuff going on in your life, that's probably going to enrich your creative process to a certain extent. But the difficult and also most simple thing about being creative is literally sitting down and just starting something. And then once you actually are involved with that kind of that process kicking off, that's when inspiration really comes for me. And a lot of the time, I'll, I basically do try and sit down every day and just try and do something creative. But uh, more specific to music, when I was in Amsterdam, I would finish my day. After dinner, I would probably go back up to the little studio because I was living with Jai, the guitarist. And we have a little bit of a studio happening upstairs in our apartment. And I would sit down and I would just open a new session and I would just start making things, whether it was just a little beat or playing around with the sound. And in the process of doing that, you discover something and then it starts to, you know, flesh itself out and then you're inspired. And then the next day you're excited to sit down and continue working on that thing. And I think that's, that is the ultimate hack is just showing up and, and just getting into it because it's too easy to make excuses and to think about all of the other things you could be doing to try and improve your creative process, be it like meditation or I don't know, whatever else, you know? And um, yeah, I think, I think to a certain extent, people can overcomplicate what it is. And that's just, just being there and just, and just starting. That's it. And so you've also released some music videos for a couple of the songs. Um, how did these music videos come to be? Did you have kind of like a preconceived idea about where they were going? Who directed it? All of the above. <laughs> cool, cool. So we were working with a director called Bob Sizu, who's a local Dutch guy um, for a lot of the videos. And as well as being a director, he's also sort of a creative director. So he was leading, leading the charge on a lot of the formation of ideas and kind of sending us treatments about what the song was, was saying to him. And then, of course, there's a little bit of a, a dialogue that happens between him and us, and ultimately something gets fleshed out. And this, this is usually what happens as well for, for most of the other videos we've, we've done. You know, there's a treatment that comes in, and, and then there's a bit of a discussion that takes place. Because you can only really do so much storyboarding in preparation for a video clip, I think. Because even within the band, we're four independent thinkers who, who sort of have four different tastes on things. And if we try to formulate anything with too much detail, uh, we often end up in an argument. And so it's almost important that there is uh, an external creator involved to kind of help facilitate the, the outcome. Because, um, yeah, if there's too much, too much ego involved or like too many cooks in the kitchen, then everything just gets burnt. Do you find that you guys all listen to similar music or do you check different music tastes compared to what you produce? Yeah, we actually do. Like I, I, um, I perhaps am probably the most eclectic music listener because I, I grew up on like System of a Down and Rage Against the Machine and Led Zeppelin and even going into... I don't know, more more dangerous territory. Like there was a lot of really heavy music. My brother was just really into metal and a lot of the stuff. And then I even had like um, little forays with Kill Switch and Gage <laughs> and lots of other really intense bands. But as my 
as as I've kind of grown and gotten older, my tastes obviously have have changed and developed. But I definitely still have strong affinities to a lot of my my early rock days, you know. And sometimes I just need to absolutely crank some some Tool or some Queens of the Stone Age or something like this. Um, and I, I'm not sure that other boys particularly do that. I think between Sean and Joe, there's there's potentially quite a similar taste going on. Um, and then Jai. And I are probably the most into sort of house and techno and that kind of stuff. Maybe even Jai a little bit more than me because he actually DJs. Um, but yeah, I, I have a very, very varied taste for music. And I think it's, it's just a set and setting thing. Because a lot of time if I'm working or if I'm trying to write something or if I need to focus, um, I will be cranking extremely loud like metal in my ears. And it somehow just makes me focus because if there's too much like lyricism going on, I, I can't I can't work properly. Yeah, because it's like I think it's like Baroque music or like real classical music with no words is like the best music for studying. Yeah, and actually a little a little deviation from this. Um I was listening to a podcast the other day and the guy was saying that they've done studies now and brown noise and white noise and pink noise, which is basically just that kind of sound, probably like what this wind sounds like in the mic. <laughs> uh, what, if you actually play that when you're trying to focus, uh, there's, there's something that happens in the brain where it allows you to, to enter a deeper state of focus. Um, so I was, I was almost meditating on that. I'm like, oh, you know what? Like a lot of the metal that I would listen to there's so, there's so much high end and there's so much distortion and intensity. It, it almost is getting into that territory. Perhaps that's why I find it like so conducive to focus. I don't know, but yeah, it is interesting that I'm in a, in a chill wave band and I do dabble quite heavily with that sort of music. So I'm not sure what that says about me. <laughs> it just it doesn't say much. It just says that you're you like a variety of music. That's what yeah I'm yeah going through. Uh, and so, what are your plans once this album? kind of is released do you guys plan on playing some shows or what's the go yeah so we've got some shows lined up in europe i i do hope they're actually going ahead europe seems like it's a little bit more ahead of the curve than australia honestly the news updates i'm seeing about what's happening in australia are actually deeply concerning i don't really understand what what is going on there um but yeah europe seems to be kind of maybe coming out of, of what of this whole COVID situation. But what I have also seen happened is that or happen rather is that the lockdowns kind of follow winter. So I really I pray and I, I hope that as soon as Europe starts to go back into winter, we don't just go into some Delta variant lockdown situation because that would then mean we have to postpone our European shows again. Um, and in which case I'm probably gonna just be on the next flight back to Bali because yeah, there's just not really much else we can be doing. We can be doing some photo shoots, maybe a few video clips, some PR stuff. Um, that's all amazing. But the the European winter is, whew, it's it's not it's not the best place to be. I, I can tell you that, at least not for me. But yeah, we we just we've got to just uh, take it one day at a time. And yeah, that's really all that can be done because all the planning we we have done has ultimately ended up changing. So yeah, we're now living on a on a day to day basis. I love it. Well. Thank you so much for joining me today. It has been a pleasure having a little chat with you and finding out all the things about the album and Torah itself. Um, usually we do a little bit of a cheers at the end of our episodes. So got a, my beer here. I noticed that you were drinking a bit of a beer yourself. Yes, I got a bintang. What do you know oh, about that? Oh, so barley of you. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> well, cheers. Oh, yeah. Cheers indeed. Thank you so much. I'm running off in 